You're listening to the Boss Business Surgery Series, Episode 50. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Dina George, family medicine physician and expert in crafting a powerful message, and that's what we're talking about today. She is the founder of the podcast, Create an Unstoppable Life. She is a story brand certified coach, and she is the founder of the Women Warrior Healers Group for active duty and veteran women physicians and dentists. Enjoy the show. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a truly awesome guest. This is Dr. Dina George. We've known each other since medical school. In fact, we both went to the Uniform Services University of Health Sciences. It's okay if you've never heard of it. Many people haven't. But anyway, it's the only military medical school we have. And I was fortunate enough to be paired with Dina as my sponsor. So lucky me. So we've known each other for a very long time and kept in touch all this time. And our paths have crossed recently because she too has become a uh, life coach and helping other physicians, you know, dealing with all the problems that we're having in medicine. She has such a unique perspective on both dealing with patients and in the way to market ourselves so people can listen. So today we're gonna to be talking to Dr. Dina George about powerful messages. So Dr. George, tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> well, happy 50th episode. What a great accomplishment. What a great service that you offer to so many. It's a joy to be part of your life. We've known each other for 22 years, which is absolutely <laughs> incredible. We met before kids before our MD degrees, before our specialties. So it's such a joy to be on this journey with you. I am a marketing and messaging mindset coach, which helps physicians get really clear, really focused on what they want to say and deliver it in a way that's meaningful to the listener. So we know what we want to say, but it doesn't always mean that we get it or say it in a way that the listener understands or has buy-in or wants to know more. And I think what we do as physicians is we often just flood with information. We want to tell somebody everything all at the same time. So I help, I help physicians slow down, get really refined, really clear and create a message that's exciting to deliver. I work part-time as an adult hospitalist. I'm married to Craig, who, you know, very well, we have an amazing son and we live in Texas. (laughs) exactly in a a farmhouse this in a 1939 farmhouse that it has a very sweet spirit here and you know i really love your idea of creating a powerful message because you know oftentimes we think well we just learn the facts we tell the people the facts and we expect them to say oh well they're the doctor of course they they're I'm going to do whatever they say. And anyone who's been in any clinic for any period of time or hospital knows that that is not how this goes down. (laughs) Right. So we give information, we expect somebody to understand and do exactly what it is that we said. And we don't understand why they stopped taking their medicine or why the medicine didn't work because they're not offering that they didn't take it or they take it inconsistently. We don't understand why they didn't show up and it's because they don't have buy-in. And so I I can think of the number of times that patients with new onset diabetes came in 
And I'm talking about ACE inhibitors and the medicines that they need and how often we need to see them. And I'm going on and on and on because that's how we think. How can I help this person live a longer and healthier life? And they're just floored by, I have diabetes. How did I get diabetes? Why did I get diabetes? What did I do wrong? Right? So they're, they're in a completely different headspace, not in the place to receive information. And I am miles down the road. Like what's wrong with you? Why aren't you following me? <laughs> exactly. And, and then I come along and say, and whatever this is, we're going to cut it out. <laughs> so I've really had to learn that the message is so important. And even if, and it's okay to drip the message. Like I don't have to get it in all at the same time. I could do small pieces, bite-sized pieces so that somebody really has a better understanding of why it matters to them. So take us through an example of, you know, to illustrate how that works. So here's a hospitalist example. We see a lot of heart failure and I have been in the room and watched a physician come in and say, you have heart failure and you need to take these medicines. You need to stop smoking and you need to lose weight. I'll see you in a few weeks and walk out of the room. And it's very well-intentioned. I'm totally not picking on that that physician. Like they've probably seen this a million times. They see how simple it is to correct, to fix the underlying stuff. And they don't understand why the individual isn't doing it. But I'll tell you that doesn't work. It doesn't work because the receiver, all they hear is you're wrong, you're bad, you're overweight. You don't know how to do anything. You're not taking care of your body. You're wasting your time, right? That's the message that they received. They don't hear any of the words. They watch the doctor go out of the room. They probably have an opinion on their the doctor's character and they've completely missed what's happening with their body and what they can do. So crafting a powerful message really means looking at where they're at and meeting them there, going slow and using words that they can understand. So the way that I would approach it, and again, this is learned, this isn't intuitive, this is learned, is I would say, your heart is weak. It's been weakened for probably a variety of, of reasons, and we don't have anything to make it strong. But And this explains why you get full really fast. It explains why you're out of breath with just a few steps. It explains why you need oxygen at night and why fluid gets backed up in your legs, in your stomach, in your lungs, and you can't breathe. And then I pause. And I just get a sense of what it is that they hear, because I really want to speak to the pain that they're in and show them that we can lessen that pain, or at least we're going to work really hard and try. And when I speak to the pain, I usually can get some buy-in and some they're getting context because now I've, I've taken what they're feeling and I've related it back to their heart and to say, it's because your heart's weak, but I don't leave them there. I don't walk out of the room. Then I want to speak to what becomes possible. So I can say these medicines, again, they're not going to make your heart strong. They're not going to fix the problem, but they can help you feel better and they can help your heart work better only when you take them. If you don't take them, you're not going to experience that benefit. So now I'm working to get buy-in. I'm speaking to the pain. I'm introducing medicine as a solution to help them feel better. And then I can share what better feels like. You can walk farther. You can need less oxygen, or maybe you're not going to need oxygen. You'll notice that that 
the fluid stays off of your body. So you're not constantly up and down on your weight or getting admitted to the hospital and not. So that's what these medicines are for. And again, when they're taken as prescribed and when you're following up regularly with your doctor. So it tends to be a more powerful message because there's more buy-in, there's more understanding, there's context. If I take this, maybe I don't have to deal with swelling and, and nausea and early satiety and the inability to breathe. So we're connecting. That medicine helps me feel better when I take it consistently. I love this too, because, you know, it speaks to the mindset that we have to change as well, because, you know, I think some of the more frustrating aspects we deal with is dealing with a problem that we can't fix, you know, and you had a great example of dealing with heart failure because that we can't fix, but it's missing the point of what we can fix and what we can do. And more importantly is, is making sure that the patient understands and we're speaking to what they need, not to what we think they need. Yeah, exactly. And so what I find is, is crafting a message, a very intentional message where we're not focusing on guilt or shame. I'm not taking somebody in the past. I'm not alluding to anything that they should have done. We're just right here today. Then it opens up questions like, well, what else can I do? Mm -hmm. How does smoking affect my heart? And when they're asking a question, now we've got an opening. We're not going to, we're not trying to solve every single thing. We're trying to create openings for better because it's better if somebody quits smoking within the next month than it is within the next year. Mm -hmm. Right. And we want them to see that it's their better. It's not any consequence to me if they continue smoking or not. I'm going to feel for them, but it's not going to harm me. I'm going to go home. <laughs> I'm going to live my life. It's not going to harm me. It is going to harm them. So when they start to see, if I don't take the medicine, it harms me. If I continue to smoke, it harms me. If I drink large amounts of alcohol, because that question will come up too. Like they're just wondering, what else can I do? What else can I do? And, and we're starting that momentum of building that personal sense of accountability, of, of responsibility. And I think that's super important. And it's not just with our patients. We can do this with our family members. We can do this with our friends too, to really create buy-in so that we're all able to experience a life that we want rather than avoiding the life that we don't want and living it anyways. Yes. And what I love about that, it's so achievable too. I mean, we really can listen to what they need to hear and then speak to them in a way that they can hear that. And so often we just get, for me, especially I get frustrated that I can't solve a problem or can't get them to understand. And really they don't, I'm not actually speaking necessarily always to the problem that they have of, you know, feeling better and things. I, I do have a trick when it comes to quitting smoking that I see the eyes averted. They're not looking at you. And I was like, yeah, and it costs you a lot of money. And almost every time I mention something about money, everyone's eyes look up and like, oh yeah, you know, I could buy in from the strangest things. I would not have thought that's most important, um, but it is helpful to, to just identify what it is that they can hear that will help buy into the message that we're trying to get to them. Right. And I totally speak to the pain that this, that smoking causes. So I had a patient recently with a diagnosis of cancer. And I, so I would speak to the pain and say, you know, this feeds the cancer. It weakens your body. It gives the cancer more advantage. It means the chemo has less chance of working. Mm -hmm. So I speak to it that way to, to craft a more powerful message to say, if your body doesn't have to deal with it, it's going to be stronger. And 
I only say things that I believe. I would never say something I didn't believe <laughs> when it comes to crafting a powerful message. This is not about manipulation. This is about speaking to the pain and showing somebody how life can look better or feel better. And it's true in business. It's true in marketing as well. We think that the patient wants to know our qualifications and where we went to school and the number of cases. And of course, you know, some people ask that, but really they want exactly what you're describing. I want you to recognize that I'm in pain. I want you to tell me how to get out of it. Doable steps you know, that don't, that don't make me feel bad about myself to move forward to, to get to where I need to, to be. Yeah. I'm convinced people want to know two things. Do you understand my problem and can you help me? And that's it. Like there's already this belief as physicians that we have done whatever we needed to do to be in the position that we can help. So that part we didn't have to prove. And I wish I would have known this in med school. Like I tried so hard. I really wanted to graduate at the top of my class, be AOA. I was thinking somehow people are going to ask me that they really care. Nobody has asked me where I graduated in my class. Very rarely do I get asked where I went to med school. I never have been asked about AOA status. I can tell everyone you were AOA. I saw you get tons of awards and I know that you're the, you're at the top of your class. So in case anyone was curious, I'll let them know. <laughs> so what I'd say is you, you have the way that we prove ourselves is by showing people we care showing them that we understand and providing context, why they feel the way they feel. What are the options that are available? How would they feel with those options? Even if there's uncertainty, what are the likelihoods that that life will look like or feel like? And I've talked about this with complications too, because, you know, it, it's, we think that patients want something from us. We think they want a perfect surgeon that they want a perfect case. And that's really not the case at all. Um, and the problem is, is that when we have that expectation, what we do is we hide from them if that doesn't happen. And when we hide from them from shame, then what happens is we don't tell them what happened or what's going on with them. We send the message that we don't care. Um, we craft a powerful message that is not what we intend. Um, and because we miss the point of what the, the patients actually want, um, which is, you know, just like you said, you know, do you care? And can you help me? Right. Right. And I think we put so much pressure on ourselves, regardless of specialty, to have all the answers for things that we cannot have all the answers for. Like there's no way a CT can tell you exactly what you're opening up and going into. There's no way. It gives you an idea. Like you probably have a sense of this is really bad. This is kind of bad. Okay. This isn't bad. But then you open it up and you get a completely different story, right? based on what you see and what you feel and how the organs are interacting with each other, how viable that they appear. And so trying, trying to share that in advance of all the possibilities probably isn't going to work for a patient who's scared, who's in pain, who's frustrated, who probably waited too long because they didn't want to be in this situation. And, and what I've learned to say is I don't have certainty. I can't tell you exactly what is going to happen. Here are the possibilities. What I want you to know is I'm going to be with you all along the way, no matter what happens. And I want to make sure that everything you're thinking about and you're questioning that we've addressed so that if the best thing happens, we celebrate. If the worst thing that happened, if the worst thing happens, we can have a conversation and say, I'm glad we talked about this before mm -hmm. because here we are. Yeah. 
And now let's see where, what, what options do we have to move forward? So we're maintaining that connection. We're maintaining that relationship. And I really believe it's relationships, why we went into medicine and relationships that why we stay in medicine, because there's nothing like that human connection to be able to intervene or help somebody with their health, which is their most precious resource. Yes. And I completely agree with you. And that really like for the surgeon that starts with the informed consent and you know, the, the better we can provide the outline of what could potentially happen and explain to them what we're going to do when something does go off tracks, then, I mean, I've, I've had this before where patients said, well, you said this would happen, which made me feel like I, you know, did what I needed to do, which was to let them know, you know, truly informed consent. And, you know, it's, it's a process that's, that's so critical, but, you know, it gets lost in the every day of doing it all the time. Um, but, yeah. you know, for us, we do it all the time for that patient in front of us is the only time that they're hearing it. So I, and I try to do this in my practice. Like when I order full dose Lovenox, let's say somebody has a, a full stroke and we need to anticoagulate them right away for whatever reason, it's pretty rare, or we're, we're starting full anticoagulation, maybe for stroke risk reduction with AFib, for example, I talk with them about it. Like I craft this story of here we are today, no crystal ball. We know that these things are possibilities and we have this tool. So we have Lovenox, we have Eliquis, we have something to help anticoagulate, to reduce the risk. And, and, but really talking about it, like in moving forward, I need to satisfy my conscience, make sure that they understand so that no matter what happens on the other side, we still have a relationship. We can still move forward and we're going to manage whatever happens. That's great. And let's shift gears a little bit too. So now that we know what the patients need to hear from us day to day, take us through the message that we want to send before the patient gets to us. So this is super important because I think that that there's what we think patients want to know or need to know, like how long they're going to wait in the waiting room and what, uh, how many staff are in the building or what all the credentials are of the physician that they're going to see. And again, I go back to people want to know, do you understand my problem and can you help? And the way we show them that is we, we create a message that's really personalized for them. So for the patient coming to see you, that might be unrushed visits, might be very important. Time to the, the, that we're going to listen to you, that we treat all of these conditions or that we're going to provide care for all of these conditions. So that's where I would focus. The person who can benefit from your help, what is it that they want? What problems are they trying to solve? What pain are they in because of those problems? Are they in physical pain? Are they in emotional pain? Are they, is there something else? And really speak to that to show them what life can look like and feel like. One of my favorite websites is an orthodontist and you open up the page and it says, give your child a smile they'll love. They are speaking to the pain that the parent has. They're speaking to the fear that the parent has because the parent going to their website is probably worried about time, money, worried that it's too late, worried that their child's teeth are never going to be straight and they're always going to look bad and they're never going to have a date, right? So they, they go on and on with all of these consequences of not having a great smile and open the page and you see that. 
just that one sentence can put that parent at ease, can position that parent as the hero. The parent is the one to give their child a smile they'll love, right? Because the parent's the one who's going to make the appointment, do the insurance stuff, pay the bills. Um, so they're the, they're positioning that parent with this message as the hero, the one who is going to make all of this happen. And the orthodontist really, you can tell from all the website that the orthodontist really cares, really is partnering and really believes that any individual, any child coming to him can have a beautiful smile. Bethany Malone, who was on the podcast earlier, was talking about how TikTok helps her do that as well. Like you're already developing this relationship with a patient before they arrive and, you know, speaking to them ahead of time, you know, lets them know a little bit about you to see like, is this the right person for me? Are they speaking to me? Um, and that's a great way that I think that we've not, um, we certainly haven't been taught. And I think a lot of us are not using effectively. Right. Because there's a huge difference between give your child a smile they'll love and compassionate, kind, orthodontic care. One creates an image of what becomes a possible, possible or, and available. And there's a picture that really goes together with it. There's a child smiling that looks like they love their smile versus really speaking about the business, that the business is kind, the business is com compassionate or the practice, right? So, so the more imagery we can convey about what becomes available through working with us, the better. So what life feels like after surgery for breast cancer, mm -hmm. how, how your practice reduces the stress from this diagnosis that nobody wants, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I mean, just looking at those words to speak to their fear, speak to their pain, speak to the problem that they don't want to have, but they do. And mm -hmm. use your words to just calm that down. That's what I think builds a trusted relationship. And it encourages somebody to take the next step, schedule an appointment, make a call, whatever it is, is the next step. Oh, that's so we great. don't need, we don't need many words. We need words that convey, we understand the problem and we can help and we could, and showing people what life can look like or feel like when that problem is either better or solved. Now, clearly you, you have such a, a vast knowledge of making like patients' lives better. And then I also know that you have a great message for making physicians feel better. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. <laughs> it's called create an unstoppable life. And it, it was born about four years ago because I kept getting stuck and I, I just, I just wanted better. I wanted to figure it out, figure out what was wrong with me and go farther because I, you know, like let out some of these ideas, do something different, feel more free, experience more fulfillment. And so I just decided I'm going to start a podcast. And the more I was talking about it, the more people would say, oh, that really resonated. Oh, that's me too. I feel like you were in my head. And one of the best um, comments or compliments that I ever got was you helped me through a very dark night. Mm -hmm. so, so the podcast has become this kind of this personal drive to better and sharing what I've learned about myself and about others along the way. That's why I keep doing it week after week, just exploring my brain and seeing what context I can, can take from past experiences and what I can make out of them now and how I can use that as fuel rather than a break. Because if I think about all the mistakes in the past, it's just like slamming on the brakes. 
if I think about what have I learned from that? How have I grown stronger from that? What am I able to do now that I was never able to do before? That's like putting my foot on the gas. And I'd much rather have my foot on the gas. Right. And, you know, Brene Brown talks about like owning the story so you can own the ending. And, you know, I find like the boss podcast is very similar to this too, is like, this is all the problems that I've had. So I just found the people that would answer it. (laughs) For sure. I know that there, there were years that Craig would say, what do you want for Christmas? Or what do you want for your birthday? And I would say, peace. I want peace. And what I didn't realize is that peace was an inside job. And he would say that I can't buy you peace. I can't give you peace. I can give you my love and my loyalty, but I can't give you that. And and that is fuel for the podcast. And what I realized recently is I think I have everything I want in life. I certainly have everything I need in life because I found it. I found peace and it really is an inside job. And it has to do with the story that we tell ourselves the story that we keep telling ourselves. It's like we're buying and selling a story all the time. And if it's a crappy one, our day, our week, our month is going to be crappy. And if it's an amazing one, that's what's going to keep us doing what we're doing. It's going to keep us on the mission. It's kind of like when we were deployed, right? There there were many crappy days in a row. And if we bought into this is as good as it gets, like it's never going to get better, that would, there would be so much just depression. Like why get out of bed? But if we buy into, I'm here to serve soldiers. I'm here to get our, our men and women home. That's my job. And there are going to be days that, that, that job is smoother or easier or more interesting to do. But every single day, if I stay focused on that mission, I am here to get our men and women home period. Then I'm going to keep going. Speaking about crafting a powerful message, like when we were deployed as surgeons, um, they said, we need you there. When someone drops someone off to our door, they know that you're going to save them. You know, there was a lot of pressure with that too, but there was a lot of empowerment too. I mean, we knew that we could. Our message to them was like, just bring them here. We'll take care of them. The four surgical teams were, they're powerful messages to other people that you're going to be okay. And in fact, you know, as we were leaving Afghanistan, they're saying that we need the surgeons here. They need to see you here because they, they will fight if you're here. They won't if you won't, because you know, you provide hope, you provide the possibility of survival to them. And I mean, talk about a powerful message. I still remember that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like I can think of the numerous soldiers that were waiting around to hear what happened to their buddy, Mm -hmm. you know, because we were, I was in a combat hospital inside the green zone. So it was called Embassina and you would see the vehicles lined out front and automatically you knew, okay, something happened. Somebody, at least one is injured, if not many are injured. And there's a a huge number of buddies that are waiting to find out. Uh, But there was that sense of hope, like we got them here. And in our hospital, we had an ER, we had trauma surgeons, we had ortho surgeons that were always available. We had a CT scanner, right? So, So somebody could go come in the door get routed up into the the surgical suite, have blood there that's available, have x-ray there for their chest and pelvic x-ray, uh, but whatever they need to at least get stabilized. And if there was a, a sliver of a chance, every single doc was going to put everything that they had so that that sliver became more. Like there was not a physician that would give up on a soldier. And that's what kept me going. We do not give up on soldiers. This mm-hmm. is why we're here. 
that was the story that I kept telling myself. And there were times that it was very hard. There was very little sleep. There was a lot of incoming, both in terms of the volume of people we were serving and incoming because we were being mortared. And I just kept telling myself, this is why we're here. We are not giving up on our soldiers. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> well, thank you for your service for sure. It it was an honor to serve. I think that's one of the best things that I've done with my life is taking care of soldiers and realizing how much they sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And yes, I was a soldier too. My experience was different than the soldier who is out really encountering danger, like people actively trying to kill them Yes, and, and doing it voluntarily and doing it with a family at home and just making it happen day in and day out. And it was an honor to take care of retirees and the retiree spouses. Mm -hmm. um, it was like our family. So I like so much respect to our veterans and to go back to like, we tell ourselves stories every single day. And the more clear we can tell a story to ourselves, the more focused that story is, the more motivational it is, meaning focusing on what it is that we are truly working towards, the higher the quality of our life is going to be. That doesn't mean there's not going to be obstacles. There's plenty of them. It means we've got this fuel to keep going through the obstacle so that we experience both momentum and we experience getting to the destination. We too are crafting stories um, within ourselves. And, you know, just like you've mentioned, we can create the story in a way that empowers us. And, and I think that's what your, your podcast um, offers. The more we can work on the inner narratives that we have, that that is how we change medicine. And that's how we approach our day when it's hard. And to remember, there is no perfect. There's better. That's what we're working towards is better. We, we don't work individually, like we're not individual silos. We work on teams. And we have, we need to empower others to do their part of the teamwork. And that includes the patient doing their part of the teamwork and following through and asking for what it is that they need and sharing what they don't know and sharing their fears, sharing what, what holds them back too. So it, it's holding ourselves accountable, but not accountable at the level of perfection and, and not accountable at the level that everything is going to be right and fixed at the end, because we, we can't predict that. And we can't expect that of ourselves. Yes, completely agree. Um, and I want to also mention an initiative that you started, um, that you and I and, and Lori Bosch created, which is the Women Warrior Healers. Um, so for active duty and veterans, physicians and, and dentists, you know, creating this community, because that too has its own personal challenges. And so I appreciate all the effort that you, that you did in spearheading all that into another population that needs you. Your life already has already influenced exponentially so many other people. And so it's a real privilege to have you on here. It's a privilege to be your friend. It, it's truly an honor. And what I'd say is that we all need communities. And I think that's why you created Boss, is to have a community to speak about what is super important. What is super important that you weren't taught in residency or fellowship as far as how to create a sustainable career and how to manage complications, because the default is I suck. I'm a bad doctor. I need to leave. And that is not the answer. Mm -hmm. So creating communities that we can have real conversations and process the emotions of what we do, that is above and beyond what most humans will ever experience or do. 
and to be able to support each other along the way and be reminders that this is hard. Most people aren't doing this. There are so many reasons to leave and there are a few reasons to stay. And we got to dig deep on those reasons because they are powerful. When you walk away from somebody and you have cleared their cancer and you have clear margins and you help them get to their oncologist or their radiation oncologist or whoever's next, there's no feeling that can compare to that. You did that because you remained focused. You were in the fight. You walked the journey with them. You used your mastery of skills that you worked so hard to develop to help create that. And it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Love it. And I mean, I feel the same way about you, all the people that you've touched um, and that you continue to in different ways too. So I, you know, support you in all of your missions. And of course, I'll put the uh, links to your podcast. And if you're a woman physician or dentist, active duty veteran, and want to join the Women Warrior Healers, um, that link will be there as well. So Dr. George, thank you so much for coming on today. Like such a privilege to have you on. Thank you so much. So one more thought comes to mind, which is crafting a powerful message for those who are in training when we're training them, because it's super important. They're the ones who are taking away guilt and shame and fear and all the other things because they're doing things they've never been done before and they seem really big and scary. So we can craft a very personalized message, a powerful message about how what they're doing is important and what becomes available because they're doing this work, they're learning these things, they're applying context, they're taking time to learn the procedures, they're showing up every day, they're interacting with their patients in a way that develops trust. So I just extend that to trainees because they need our help more than ever. I'm amazed at the amount of burnout that is going on in residency right now. It scares me. It scares me for the future of medicine because those optimistic med students, that optimism is fading out. Separately, it's an honor to be part of your life. I love you so much. I am so glad we have traveled these journeys together and um, that we've worked independently and collectively to tell better stories because that helps to create more freedom and fulfillment in the lives of those we serve. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you again for joining me. And well, you know, I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.